Early in the 20th century, it was noted that many clergy were retiring in poverty. So the Episcopal Church put together the Church Pension Fund, which, amongst other things, inspired nothing less than Social Security later on in the century. Every year, the Church Pension Fund hosts an annual calendar with cartoons that are filled with ecclesiastical humor. And for those of you who hang around the congregation or the parish long enough, you get to get the joke a little bit. This month, though, I think is pretty easy to get. It depicts a priest standing in the pulpit saying, stewardship season has arrived, and we have all the money we need. There's only one problem. It's in your wallet. <laughs> so Rose and I were laughing about that, and I had to snap a picture and post it on Facebook, and started getting responses back. And one response was, you think there's really anything in our wallets? Look what's happening in Washington. Check again next week. And then a wife of one of my colleagues on the East Coast wrote me and said, Yes, Jim has just given his sermon on the amount. <laughs> we clergy like to revel in a little bit of humor when it comes to this time of year because pledge season always makes us a little bit on edge, a little bit nervous. So here's my sermon on the amount. <laughs> Why do we give? Why do we give? It seems like a very basic, no-brainer question, but if you think about it for very long, there's not an easy answer to it. And in fact, if you listen closely to our political discourse, there are people in the country now who are saying we shouldn't give. I've got mine. You need to go earn yours. I'm not giving anything. Why do we give? If you sat around the table long with our vestry or you attended an outreach team meeting where grants were being put together out of the fund that we set aside for organizations and people in need in the wider community, or if you were a fly on the wall in my office when a call comes in for a gift from the discretionary fund, you would hear questions that you would recognize. Is what we're giving for or budgeting for a worthy cause? Will my money be used wisely? Is the person asking for this being honest? How much is going to go to administrative costs and overhead before this actually reaches the people who are in need? Sound familiar? Right? These are questions we ask. And I submit to you that they are secular questions. And that doesn't make them bad. I just mean they are questions that we are familiar with because they are questions we ask every day in our lives out in the world. Secular in that sense. And we should ask them, right? I mean, if the vestry didn't ask those, they'd be in trouble. The outreach team didn't ask those, they'd probably be in trouble. If I didn't ask them, I'd be out of a job. But you know, that doesn't quite get to the bottom of why do we give to this cause or that cause or any cause. It's sort of like asking, why do we eat? 
Well, the normal, everyday answer is, because I'm hungry. True. Or, because the food is good. That's right. But to illustrate a little bit further, it doesn't answer the question really when you think about it, because why do we need to eat at all? Is it because life is good? When we come to this altar on Sunday morning and receive our ration that we call the body of Christ and the cup of salvation, I hope we don't eat it because we're hungry, in the same way we're hungry because we want breakfast. Because if that's true, you're going to be pretty disappointed, right? And although the bread here is pretty good, and the pork to some of us tastes pretty good too, you won't be seeing an article in the food section of the Chronicle about it. There are deeper reasons to eat. There are deeper reasons to give. Why do we give? Today's beautiful readings take us into a couple of ancient scenes regarding people who are ostracized or who are in fear of being ostracized from the community because of dreaded skin disease. Leprosy in the ancient world was kind of a catch-all for anything that disfigured or deformed the complexion and it was often a recipe for being thrown out of community. The ten lepers who are on the road, whom Jesus encounters in sort of the border, if you will, between Galilee and Samaria, probably have been thrown out of community. They have been declared ritually impure by the priests. They depend on simply the charity of others to throw them scraps. And they have probably gathered together, not because they knew each other beforehand, but out of necessity to support each other, just like leper colonies have across the ages. They have nothing to offer Jesus except their heartfelt request to be made clean, to be healed, Contrast that with one of my favorite stories in all of the Old Testament, this story of this hero warrior, Naaman, the Aramean, a great warrior who conceals probably beneath his armor the scourge of leprosy. And he has been looking and looking and looking for a cure, and it's finally his wife's servant girl who happens to be a slave captured from Israel who shows him a path. Now, Naaman is a man of the world. He knows if you want a quality cure, you better be prepared to pay for it. Right? Sound familiar? So if you were to read the full story, some of it was cut out just to keep things short today. If you hear the full story, you know that Naaman shows up at Elijah's door, not just with his entourage, but with a small king's ransom. If you want a cure to stick, pay for it. Naaman knows this. He's a man of the world. He gets it. He gets it so well, and he is such a successful man, that he scares the living daylights out of the king of Israel. Did you catch that? The king of Israel is so frightened that this is going to spark an international incident that he tears his clothes in anxiety. 
The only thing is, when Naaman shows up at Elisha's door, Elisha gives him about the ancient equivalent of an email. He doesn't even come out to meet him. Not even going to talk to you on the phone. I'm just going to send you a little message. Here's what you need to do. Now, Naaman suffers from the same malady most of us suffer from, and that's entitlement. He expects first-class service. He wants Elisha to come out, wave his hand, pronounce some sort of obscure incantation. Maybe the skies to open, the sun to shine, voices from heaven to descend, to show that God favors him and heals him. And instead he gets the equivalent of an email, go and dunk yourself in this little trickle we call the Jordan River, seven times, and you will be cleansed. Well, Naaman has an entitled hissy fit right there on the spot, doesn't he? This is not what I signed up for, and this is not what the great warrior of Aram should expect. Both stories, the fascinating thing is that the people who see what's really going on are the outsiders and the servants. In the Gospel reading, nine of the lepers, it seems, grew up on the right side of the Samaritan-Israelite divide. Maybe they have a little bit of a sense of entitlement, too. Jesus is a good Jew, a good Jewish teacher, prophet, healer. So we're Jewish, so we should get his attention. And indeed they do, and indeed they're told the Jewish thing to do, which is to go and get identified as ritually clean by the priests. It's only the Samaritan, the outsider, the outcast, who knows nothing and has nothing to offer, who comes back and gives thanks, who offers gratitude. The story about Naaman, it's Naaman's servant who says, Father, hello, if the man of God had asked you to do something hard, would you not have done it? Now he's asking you to do something simple, and you're offended? He sees what the man of God sees. Now, for centuries, religious organizations have struggled how to raise revenue to keep their doors open. And we have lots of models to consider. Consider the ancient model. When you wanted the favor of the gods, you showed up with a portion of your crops or your livestock to make sacrifice. Or take the ancient temple model that would have been around Jesus' time. And that is, you made annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem to make your sacrifice and change your coins into something that the temple treasury could carry. And you build a little economic empire around that. You see, the first economists were not trained in universities or colleges. They were priests. Money has been a spiritual issue from the very beginning. Or you could do what the medieval church did, and that is you start to sell favorites and paths into heaven and gracious atonement. They were called indulgences. You remember those? They sparked a little thing called the Protestant Reformation. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. 
or we could do what some contemporary communities do, and that is they ask for your tax return. Some, somewhat whimsically, we've discussed that on the vestry. We've not held a vote yet. Or we could do what we did in the 19th century in the Episcopal Church, and that's charge rents for your seats. Pew rents. We maintained the church for a long time with those. But the spiritual problem is that none of that obligating people to give gets us to the foundational question of why do we give? Why do we give? Naaman showed up at Elisha's door ready to bargain with the God of Israel and had a king's ransom ready. Elisha would have none of it. Jesus identifies the Samaritan's gratitude as faith. That's it, isn't it? Why do we give? Because we're grateful. What if the measure of your faith is not about what you intellectually assent to, or what you believe in your head, or because you've been a good little boy or girl, or because you've taken good care of whatever and whomever across your life? What if the measure of your faith is how grateful you are? Think about that for a minute. Think about how you pray. And I don't, mean, I don't mean the prayers you say at the dinner table or just before you go to bed. Those formal prayers that maybe have been instilled in you since childhood. I mean the prayers you say when somebody cuts you off on the highway. Or your boss throws a real zinger of a challenge on your desk and says, go get it. Or something goes badly wrong in your day. Those prayers of, oh God, frequently accompanied by four-letter words for some of us. Have you ever thought about those as prayers? And what if in those moments, instead of swearing and cursing and wishing the other person would just disappear, you decided to offer thanks instead? Thanksgiving for the opportunity to remember that the person who just cut you off may be in an awful hurry because something is going wrong in their day. Thanksgiving for that challenge that will help you grow in grace and maybe help you learn new things about who you are and who are the people you work with. Thanksgiving to recognize that the fact you are here now and breathing itself is a gift. What is really going on in Washington? You put aside all the partisan politics and you get down to the nub of it. It's a failure of gratitude. That's what's going on. It's a failure of gratitude. That's what's driving it. We have so much as a people, as a nation, as people living in the prosperous West, and yet we run around like there is nothing to share or give. That's a failure 
of gratitude. What if gratitude is a measure of your faith? And a measure not only of your faith as an abstract thing, but a measure of your faith practice in the tangible things you think and say and do every day. What if you recognize that God has given you everything you need and that the last thing that will be expected of you as you give your last breath is simply thank you. Thank you. That's what Naaman learns when he sets aside all of his privilege and goes and immerses himself in the trickle of the Jordan seven times and comes back clean. He didn't have to pay a penny. Did you have to pay for your life? Did you get to choose where you were born? Did you get to choose the parents you had? or the education you received simply by virtue of being in this state or that state or this country or that country? No. Did you choose to get born a human being? No. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you for this day, for this moment, for this breath. Why do we give? Because we are grateful. Because we recognize the abundant life we have received. And because out of gratitude, we want to share that life with others. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R MV for millvalley.org. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon.